And good morning again. And thanks, Walter. It's really comforting to know that today is National Periodic Table Day. That uh, swarms my heart. People are texting me. Uh, we'll know more about the results of the Supreme Court decision and from last Friday and how that affects uh, our county, our state, and our particular situation during the coming weeks. Stay tuned. I was asked at the dinner table last night if we are still going to be in the Gospel of Mark this morning. And my answer was no, but also yes. We started our deep dive into the Gospel of Mark way back on August 30th, 20, in the middle of the pandemic. Two weeks ago, though, we took this hiatus, we said, from the Gospel of Mark, a sort of hiatus in order to spend some time, seven weeks, on the biblical foundations of our congregation's newly articulated core values and their prologue, which you see on the screen right now. Maybe. Bam. There it goes. We spent one week talking about the particularity of what we mean when we speak of the Lord Jesus. And then the next week, last week, what it means to follow the Lord Jesus. What it meant and what it means to follow someone and specifically to follow the Lord Jesus. This morning is the first of five Sundays that we will spend looking at each of those core values themselves and how we strive to live out those core values that we believe are given to us by God, how we follow Jesus, live into His reality, walk in His steps. Before that, though, before we get to the Scriptures and talk about the Scriptural foundation for such, let's pray one more time together. Pray with me. God, we want to be learners, we want to grow, we want to hear your voice, we want to be affected and transformed by your truth and by your grace. Give us ears that are able to hear, minds that are open, hearts that are good soil, eyes that can see, for that purpose and for your purposes. I pray and ask as my words are true to your word that they be taken to heart if my words stray or deviate and in any way from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So reading now from the Gospel of Mark, we're going to fast forward all the way up to chapter 12 beginning at verse 28. Listen closely, this is the word of God. One of the teachers of the law, the, the word in the scriptures is scribe, but scribe to us sounds like a secretary or someone who's taking minutes, so uh, the English translators call it a teacher of the law. It was an authoritative person in the Jewish law and scriptures. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them, Jesus and some others, debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, this teacher of the law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus replied immediately, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. 
The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command that is greater or more important than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You were right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that this man had answered wisely, he said to him, Jesus said to the man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. People had been asking Jesus questions and lots of questions. And some of those questions were trick questions. Some of those questions were trap questions, trying to corner Jesus, embarrass Jesus, make Jesus look bad or uneducated or uninformed or unwise. But some of the questions were sincere. They were earnest. They came from the heart. People really were interested in what Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, this healer, had to say and about his interpretation and understanding of the scriptures. And this question seems to be one of those, one of the latter. It comes from a teacher of the law. Now back up a few verses to chapter 12 and verse 18. We read there in verse 18, then the Sadducees, the Sadducees were a Jewish religious party made up of mostly wealthy and sophisticated people. There were not a lot of them, but they were concentrated in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem because their primary interest was the temple and temple life and the rules and laws of the Old Testament, and particularly the first five books of the law in the Old Testament, and how those pertain to and played out with regard to the temple and its practices there in Jerusalem. And they, by extension then, were people who in that area, in Jewish religious culture, had a lot of power. They had a lot of influence, both political and religious. Verse 18, then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? They didn't even believe in the resurrection, Mark has just told us. They didn't care about Jesus' answer to their question. They were yanking Jesus' chain. But Jesus nevertheless answered their question, and he answered it so well and really put them in their place that a teacher of the law, someone who is adept in understanding the scriptures and the law of the Old Testament, heard Jesus' response and was so impressed with Jesus, with Jesus' knowledge, with Jesus' interpretation, with Jesus' way, that he, in other words, this teacher of the law, puts his own question to Jesus. And it went like this, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? And this was part of the ongoing conversation, academic, theological, practical, popular, among students of the Jewish scriptures of the time. How would a person rank all of the 613 commandments 
in the Old Testament, in the Jewish scriptures, which one was most important? Which ones were most important? How would people rank them? How would Jesus rank them? And Jesus replies famously to that man's question, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus quoting Deuteronomy 6, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quoting Leviticus 19. Love God and love one's neighbors. And one can sort of see the shoulders of the teacher of the law relax as he agreed with Jesus, as he heard something that he, an expert in the law, could buy into and get excited about himself. Yes, and this is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices, the teacher of the law replied. And he said that right in the shadow of the temple there in Jerusalem where all of the sacrifices and burnt offerings were actually offered. The temple which they were in eyesight of, in the shadow of, was the epicenter or the locus or the focal point, the center of all this practice of burnt offerings and sacrifices for the Jewish people. And this man says, yes, more important than all of these religious things that we do. And Mark doesn't tell us that Jesus smiled at that point, but I envision Jesus here smiling with satisfaction and pleasure. You are not far from the kingdom of God, Jesus said to the man. You are not far from the kingdom of God. As if, as Anthony DeMello wrote, the kingdom of God is love. The kingdom of God is love. And love, according to the scriptures, you know, is not so much a romantic feeling, though it's not without emotion, as much as it is a selfless commitment to do what is good for another person, to wish another person well, and to act in that direction, and often to do so sacrificially, love. And this, while not primarily a feeling, as I said, is also not devoid of emotions. It's not cold action, but it's with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love someone is to want, to intend, and to act for the good of another, for the well-being of another person, with joy and with gladness, with all of one's heart and all of one's mind, with all of one's resources, with all of one's energy, period. The kingdom of God is love. Hmm. And because Jesus said loving God and loving one's neighbors is paramount, they're together, the first of our values to love all people is to love all people unconditionally. To love all people unconditionally. The starting point and foundation of our faith is, of course, Jesus, whose lordship is grounded in his identity as Messiah and Son of God. As you remember, Mark said in verse 1, that short, short sort of verse that was also introductory statement, thesis statement, and title. The, the starting point and foundation of our faith is Jesus, who is by nature of him being Son of God and Messiah is also Lord. 
He is Lord, He is Son of God, who according to the Nicene Creed for us and for our salvation came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day He rose again according to the Scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we follow this Jesus by loving all people unconditionally unconditionally unequivocally unreservedly indiscriminately without strings attached all people and that begins with the people around us the people who are like us the people whom we know whom we like who are family who are friends who are neighbors wishing all people well showing kindness in tangible ways, acting on behalf of others' well-being. And then this love kind of extends in maybe expanding concentric circles to the people we know a little bit less or a little bit less well, and then to strangers And then to people with whom, let's say, we have less and less in common. And then to people who irritate us. And people whose political views are different than our own. And people who are not here legally. And people whose lifestyles are different than our own. And maybe whose lifestyles feel like they are a threat to our own lifestyles. And then there are people whose faith and their belief and their worldviews and their religion are different than our own, too. It's getting harder and harder. Love them also unconditionally, unequivocally, unreservedly, indiscriminately, and with no strings attached. But what if my loving a person suggests to the world and to the church and to the other person, whatever my actions of love may be, for example, kindness, what is the outward or visible, what if the outward or visible action of my loving a person suggests or appears to affirm a person's lifestyle, a person's choices? What if it appears or may seem to, in some people's imagination, be taken as affirmation of another person's faith or beliefs or worldview or doctrine. Love them anyway. God's going to sort things out. God's pretty good at this. God's gotten pretty good at this. God can handle this. God can do this. We can trust God in this regard. God can handle this assignment. Our job, our role, our calling is according to the Lord Jesus, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, no strings attached. I have an acquaintance, I'll call this person an acquaintance, who is a committed and zealous Christian without a doubt, who posted on social media this week uh, in big, bold letters and words, these words, no pastor can support blank, 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 and still preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and I'll spare you uh, what the blanks were for now. The types of people, the orientations, the actions, and or lifestyles that this person named. Just that he wrote, no pastor can support blank, 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 and blank and preach the gospel. And I thought about this for a while because I'm a pastor. I thought, well, it seems to apply to me, what he's saying. And I understood what he was getting at. I understand that, but at the same time I thought, isn't the gospel, or at least part of the gospel, that God so loved the world? Including, according to John, and the way John understands cosmos, everybody. Isn't the gospel, or part of the gospel, what Jesus is saying to the teacher of the law? Isn't that part of the good news that Jesus brought and brings into the world? Isn't the message of Jesus to love people? Didn't Jesus say that loving God and loving people, or loving God through loving people, or loving God as we love people, was most important regardless of their condition? Way back in my younger years, when the AIDS epidemic was still new and there weren't really any treatments and people who got it all died fairly quickly, it was a death sentence. And when it was seen by many, and especially by the church, as a plague and as a curse and as a result of certain ungodly lifestyles, people with AIDS were often pushed to the edges, into the corners, into the dark, off to the periphery of society, even by the church and sometimes especially by the church. That's what we did. But as it so happened, not far from the church that I was a part of at the time and not far from where I lived was a care facility run by the San Antonio AIDS Foundation. It wasn't in a very nice part of town. They didn't have a lot of money. It wasn't a particularly nice facility, but they did the best they could, caring for maybe 15 or 20 long-term patients at a time, mostly men, maybe all men as I remember, who had nowhere else to go, no one else to care for them. And the thought occurred to me one day that it might be a good thing to do in the way of Jesus to see if they needed any volunteers, to see if there was anything I could do to support their work and care for these men. And so I called and the volunteer coordinator that I was connected with was suspicious because in our initial conversation and she said why because it seemed like she didn't normally get cold calls offering to help and volunteer with no connection or reason or justification why and I explained well part of it is I think about following Jesus for a Christian and she was suspicious and I came to understand why in their experience Christians didn't really want to help they just wanted to convert and sometimes judge. In their experience, Christians weren't primarily interested in the sort of care for their dying patients as they were. But after a long conversation, she agreed that, that there were some things that I could do, but only in plain view of others where others could hear my conversations. Okay. She said I could help in the kitchen 
and that I could help feed an individual at lunchtime. And so that's what I did for a while, for a season. I'd go in around lunchtime and help out in the kitchen. And then when it came time to serve, I would sit with the one person they assigned to me who was in a debilitated and debilitating state and couldn't very well feed himself. And I would help him eat and make small talk, even though it was mostly me talking. He didn't seem to be able to talk very well any longer. But it wasn't lost on me that this young man's name was Joshua, which you may know is the Hebrew version of the name Jesus. Ah. And I thought to myself that this is where Jesus would have his people be, loving their neighbors. In the broadest sense of the word, regardless of who they were, what they'd done, or how they were unconditionally. Maybe you've seen the t-shirt that says, love thy neighbor. And then it sort of defines who neighbor is, or could be. Love thy neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy gay neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy poor neighbor, thy Republican neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy racist neighbor, thy homeless neighbor, thy atheist neighbor, thy trans neighbor, thy addicted neighbor, thy white neighbor, thy conservative neighbor, thy Asian neighbor, thy Democrat neighbor, thy incarcerated neighbor, thy rich neighbor, thy Christian neighbor, thy immigrant neighbor, thy liberal neighbor, thy disabled neighbor. Love thy neighbor. Well, that person makes me uncomfortable. God can help you get over your discomfort. Well, that person hurt me. Well, don't, don't let them hurt you again. Definitely don't let them hurt you again. Protect yourself. Be safe. But if and as there are ways to still wish that person well and be for them without putting oneself in physical or emotional danger, then do it. Love them. In the church, we're pretty good at religion. There was a guy uh, back in the 1930s and into the first half of the 1940s named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran pastor in Germany. And as he observed, most of the Christians in Germany capitulate to Hitler and the Third Reich. He was deeply disturbed. And he thought religion really doesn't have a lot of value. And so what he emphasized were two things as he went on and on in his effort to follow Jesus. One was prayer, and one was doing acts of, and you could call it justice or righteousness. They're really the same word in Hebrew and in Greek. Justice refers to kind of the big picture. Righteousness is kind of an individual matter. And it could also be understood as good things, as righteous things, as what is right, good, true, fair, lovely, just. And to such, Jesus calls us. We sometimes worry, I have sometimes worried, what will happen? How will people understand it if I love that person or appear to endorse, affirm, condone 
dot, dot, dot. Jesus doesn't seem to be concerned about those things. And as we've seen through the Gospel of Mark, and as we see in all four of the Gospels through the course of those stories, Jesus is hanging out with unseemly people of all sorts across every spectrum. From the top to the bottom, the left to the right, the good and the bad and the ugly. Jesus is a little at a time, in a variety of ways, loving people. Loving people. But what about the person who really irritates me? Love them. What about the person we can't trust? Love them. What about the person who really has made nothing of their life? Who seems this or that or this or that? Should I care for them too? Yes. And all of this is neat and easy to say up here until yesterday afternoon and then evening and night when I got a message and then another message and then another message that a family member And family members are usually pretty easy to love. A family member who's had trouble with the law and a family member who's had years and years of trouble with illegal substances. Drugs, pot, meth, manipulation, etc., etc. Was going to be in our area. Was coming through our area. Was coming to my neighborhood. Oh goodness what to do now does god really want me to attempt to apply what jesus said and what i'm going to preach on or supposed to preach on tomorrow morning tonight today this evening now tomorrow and the next day oh goodness do i really need to do this yes love all people unconditionally as complex and messy as it may be uncertain as we may be about how to love people about what that looks like about what's most helpful about what is good for the other person about what they need about what i have but i have plans love all people unconditionally Well, that could get messy. Love all people unconditionally. Well, that may cost me something. Love all people unconditionally. Well, my schedule's full. Love all people unconditionally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have the ability to make things in my mind far more complex than maybe they really need to be. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, some people think it was the first letter that he wrote. He wrote this in verse 6. He said the only thing that counts is faith. And we know that. That's Paul. Paul's emphasis on faith all the time. But Paul wrote to the Galatians, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Oh. And then he goes on a little bit later in that chapter, chapter 5, verse 14. 
Verse 13, I'll start it. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. This comes from Paul, not Jesus, but Paul on top of Jesus. And Paul following Jesus. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. No strings attached. My friend, my social media friend said, yes, but the Bible says, and the Bible says, and the Bible says, and we're supposed to live this way and do this and do all of those things and justice and righteousness and uprightness and purity and yeah you're, he was right he's absolutely right and i think jesus is also right love god with all that you have and in that same way and with that same energy and at the same time love your neighbor as yourself and as we do as we do we learn from Jesus final interaction with the teacher of the law we get close to the kingdom of God the man had the right answers the teacher of law he was academic he was educated he was erudite he knew stuff and he had the right answers he knew he was in agreement and Jesus said you're getting close you're getting close you're getting so close to the kingdom of God it's right there within your grasp all you need to do is go from knowledge and belief to living and to doing and to embracing and you're there you're there in the kingdom when we see people through a filter of love and imagine them as worthy of love we can't help but snag a seat in their fan section bob goff writes this isn't the same as having an identity based on a religion. A lot of people say they're a Christian before anything else, but it quickly spirals into these same people thinking they have the truth that everyone else needs. And this may be true, but here's the problem. It also morphs into an identity rooted in having answers rather than being loved. Jesus didn't tell us to become religious. He told us to be like him. And he was loved. We won't need to break our backs trying to convince others about Jesus if we who, if who we are before anything else is love. And the reason is simple. Love isn't something we do like a job. It is someone we become like Jesus. It is not a job that we do, but someone we become like Jesus, so very close to the kingdom. Let's pray. God, we can confess our sin and our sinfulness, our rebellion, our reluctance, our heavy feet, our lack of faith, our wanting to do things our way and our own way and on our timeline. We can confess and acknowledge all that together and separately, individually, publicly, privately.
because we know that you have already paved the way for us. You have already come. You have already loved us. You have promised us your love. You have filled us with your love. You have exhibited and demonstrated your love in our reality on earth as it is in heaven and most poignantly and powerfully through a cross. And so we acknowledge with embarrassment and regret our lack at times of loving our neighbors, our reluctance to do so, our reasons and excuses for not. Have mercy on us, forgive us, restore to us the joy of your salvation. Come upon us with your kingdom. Reign in us, have your way, have dominion. Lead us and guide us. Heal us and be glorified. Help us to love a little bit more each day like you do, like you have, like you promised to, in Christ and through your Spirit. Amen.